This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me this week are James, Natalie and Simon Evans who joins us from America to talk about the 2-0 defeat at Stoke at the weekend. Burnley quite poor again away from home. It's still just a single point on the road, one goal scored and none from open play. So um, a lot of progress needed there. Team selection, though, Natalie, a lot of changes. Four changes made by Dash, including a switch back to four four two. Stephen Defoe left on the bench, though. What did you make of the team when you saw it on Saturday afternoon? Um, I wasn't wasn't surprised to be honest. I was not surprised to see the return of the four four two, and I wasn't surprised to see him try and get Andre back in the side. We talked about this at length last week on the podcast, where we felt that it was he just needed to just suck it up and get him back in that side as quickly as possible. We can't have um, a player of Andre's quality on the bench and just not, you know, mentally capable of playing. So I wasn't, I wasn't surprised by those tactics. I was really surprised by uh, Defoe being left out. And unless he was really, really injured, in which case he shouldn't really be on the bench, I do not understand that at all. He's the one player in that squad who gives us so much quality and actually gives us an attacking threat, which nobody else does. So I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Yeah, shout up if if I'm wrong, but as far as I'm aware, Dash hasn't said anything about Defoe since the game. So no, he hasn't. Um, presumably not an injury, and and it was um, a tactical decision. Uh, presumably, um, Simon uh, did a strange one in a way. Burnley started the game quite well, but then it was the same old story with sloppy defending and giving away cheap goals and. Out of the game by half time. Yeah, it's just that sinking feeling now, isn't it, with away games? It started to feel depressingly familiar to, uh, has to be said, to previous Premier League campaigns, doesn't it? Away from home, at least. I mean, it's two different sides. I mean, the results obviously show that, but there's something going on here, I think, on a psychological level that needs to be addressed by, by Daesh and his staff because, you know, that team that plays at home. Yeah, I mean, there's always a difference between playing at home and playing away on on so many different levels. It's a very different approach you've got to take, obviously. But there seems such a difference in confidence, you know, to me. 
that first 10 minutes, yes, we got after them. We, we, we made a positive start. But then, you know, a sloppy mistake, and suddenly then it's just like, oh, here we go again. You know, and there's just not that same belief. Whereas at home, we play with swagger like we can beat anyone in the league. You know, it's, it's really got to be something that they look at. And I thought I was quite pleased with the changes he made, really. And, and although, you know, eyebrows will be raised about Defoe, um, and I presumed there must have been some sort of injury or something, the fact is the guy's been playing 60 minutes a game. Um, and I was thinking, well, if he plays him, you know, 40 minutes of the game in the second half, does it really make that much of a difference whether he starts or he comes off the bench? And presumably he was trying to get a little bit more energy and robustness to the side, but didn't really work. And, uh, you know, it's back to the drawing board, really. And I think they've got to find something away from home that gives the side some some belief. And I think, the, you know, I'll shut up in a minute, but I think the biggest problem is the lack of a sort of release ball, you know, a threat, a pacey threat on the break. You look at teams who do well away from home of the smaller teams, and they tend to have somebody who can run with the ball and, and really turn turn get you out of that siege and we just get, seem to get locked into it yeah i think that's probably what good munson brings to the team and i think we missed him really badly on saturday but there are some options for what we could do out wide playing boyd and arfield wide in a 4-4-2 it, the team just looked very very championship to me and that's only with Heaton injured good munson injured and default left out that's all we were missing three players missing and it just looked like a championship team and we played like a championship team. Um, James Dash promised changes and he made them to the team, but it just didn't make that much of a difference in the end, did it? No. Uh, and, you know, you look at it, and I know people have obviously wanted Lawton to to get a game on the bench for a while and Flanagan come in, but Flanagan's maybe not made the most convincing case for himself there, has he? I mean, it, it reminded me a lot of the way he played at Crinton Stanley where he sort of looked lost. Mm. And it's really difficult to believe that, you know, a few years ago he was convincingly holding down a place on a side that looked like they were going to win the league. And then the second goal on Saturday, he's just, as I mentioned, defending really for a right-back. He, it's like he wasn't even there, was he? All night of it just gone past him like it was just nobody. He offers no pressure on him or anything. You know, there's no, there's nothing to stop the winger doing what he wants with it. And then to see him get brought off for Tarkovsky as well was a bit of a... A strange one, really, sort of replacing someone who's having a bad game because he's getting beaten all day with someone who's not really got much pace. But waiting so, so uh, I feel like I'm just getting out my old drum and going on about the subs. But it, it's the second half was an improvement, but I, I feel like Stolt was still pretty much in control. We didn't really create. I mean, I'd say particularly on the flank where Flanagan was. You know, if you're watching a guy get beaten up all afternoon, at some point you take him off, don't you? Yeah, it, I. It, that's the only explanation I can think of to put Tarkovsky on for Flanagan that it was to take Flanagan out of the line of fire but in that case why wait so long I don't understand why it was 77 minutes I think before Sam Volts came on the guy's our top scorer this season alright he's had a couple of quiet games but 77 minutes when Barnes and Gray just accomplished very little between them it's, I just don't the whole, it seemed very muddled from Dash for me the team selection didn't seem to make sense Tactically, it didn't really make sense. I don't understand what what he was hoping to achieve, really. I, I actually feel for Gray because you know he gets a chance back in the side and uh, he sets up a team that's going to give him absolutely no service. I mean, actually, actually, Barnes is a player who can you know, make a little bit of his own look and you know bring himself a few chances with his work rate. 
Um, you know, Bokes, if you just get maybe one or two decent crosses in, he's got a chance of getting his head on it. But Gray, really, you need to actually feed him and, you know, you play to his strengths. And we didn't do that at all. I think Arfield and Boyle got wide. Well, are we trying to have any width or, or not? Because both of them are just like, there's a magnet in the centre of the pitch that just draws the both of them in. And they become completely ineffectual. And it's like we've got a four-man box midfield. They, all, they always play like that, but it was particularly noticeable on Saturday. It seemed at times when it was almost Boyd and Arfield playing in front of Marnie and Hendrick and a 2-2 rather than a, a 4 It looked deliberate though. on Saturday, though, didn't it? It I, did. I was, watch, I was watching that and thinking they've been told this time to play like this. It's not a case of George wandering in from the flanks. It, it looked like, let's play narrow today. You know, let's let's keep it really tight and compact. There's been so many games this season. But then we, we conceded two goals from crosses, so defending narrow <laughs> didn't really work. Yeah. The, the thing is, as well, there's been so many games this season where we've just been crying out for a little bit of whip and to, you know, maybe try and suck a full back out and make a bit of space in behind him or anything, just try something a bit different and we don't do it. And I think a big part of the problem on Saturday as well was Jeff Hendrick, really, because I'm not sure that he's really settled in yet and... I don't know if he knew where he was really meant to be playing. Last time we spoke about him, obviously, we were saying he seemed to be stuck halfway between the midfield and the striker. Well, there wasn't really that excuse this time, was there? He was in a, a midfield four, so it should have been more comfortable for him. But I thought he gave a completely unconvincing performance. For, yeah, you know, I've, I've, spent, I've defended Hendrick for those reasons. So I think the price tag, is, it's maybe unfair to judge him by that. And I don't think the role we've been playing him in has suited him. But in a, a flat four... In a two-man central midfield, he offered absolutely nothing on Saturday. And when he was in the team for Defoe, who is our best player for me, it was startling how little Henrik contributed. And he was probably one of two players who was lucky not to be sent off because he hauled someone down after he'd already been booked. I don't understand why he wasn't sent off. For I mean, that. As you alluded to before, Defoe must be sort of carrying a little bit of a knock or something because when he's out of the side, you just we like that person who's got a magic pass on him. Yeah, and you, you were spot on about Gray as well. You put Gray in, you need someone who's going to thread the ball through for him. Defoe's the, the one player in the squad who has that really in his locker and to put Gray in and then take out the service, it it just seemed really confused uh, from 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 Dash for me. Um, Natalie Barnes came in though. How, how did you feel he did? I think he was probably also lucky not to be sent off for the... The elbow on Martin's indie that broke the defender's face. He's got yeah. a fractured cheekbone. D- definitely. I mean, you don't like to sort of call your players out, do you? And you want to keep some of these things quiet. You don't want them to get reputations. But he was very, very lucky. I was quite shocked when I saw it. I'd seen, um, I'd seen obviously the, the reports coming through social media that there'd been an incident when we saw it on on the replays as well. It was just like that. He's very, very, very lucky. He stayed on the pitch. Um, it's tricky, isn't it, it though, Barnes? Because he. You don't want to take that aggressive edge out exactly. of his game, but sometimes he just goes too far and crosses he that does. line because he's so desperate to make an impression. Yeah, that's that's exactly the point I was just about to make, Jamie. You're completely right. Um, you don't want to diffuse Barnes because the energy he brings and the fight that he brings and the desire that he brings is, is classic Barnes, and we, we love him for that. And sometimes he lifts the players, and sometimes he brings that fight that um, you know, especially away from home as well, with a set of players who are very jaded and are obviously, as Simon said earlier, suffering from some psychological problems away from home. 
Barnes hasn't got that because he's largely not been included in those teams. So he has got a fresh head. He has got a fresh attitude and he's the one player who can, you know, rejuvenate that side. But he does go too far. I I don't know whether he's just massively clumsy or whether there is a bit of a nasty streak in him. It's a really difficult one to call and I think he's borderline on both ways. But other than that, you know, he looked... He looked really good. You know, he, he just brings a different style of play to the game. As much as we love him, I'm not entirely convinced that he has got a good enough technical ability to make that much of a difference in the Premier mm. League. I don't think he's a, a good technical footballer. But it's something different. And you know what? Dach has said this sometimes. When you're a side like Burnley and you are struggling to attract certain players who don't want to come to an unfashionable club, when you're struggling in the transfer market because you're being muscled out in terms of finance... You've got to find different ways to beat the teams in this division. And players like Ashley do offer something different that other sides don't have. So, you know, it it was classic Barnes. He didn't do enough. Um, I think my last point on this is I think whilst Barnes um, offers something different and he offers a, a, a fight to that side, he can't do it by himself. As I said before, he doesn't have the technical ability, but he's also, he just can't lift an entire side. He needs to have... His impact is when the rest of the team are doing well. So say, for example, the Palace winner that he scored in the last minute, it was because of a brilliant um, Gunbunson pass. You know, he, he can't do it on his own without the support of the team. So unfortunately, when the rest of the team are gone, their heads are gone and they, they're struggling to, to compete in a game, he won't be able to make an impact just by himself. But I, I, I think we should carry on with him, at least bring him on as an impact sub. Yeah, I think as a sub is is the way to use Barnes because he brings that energy and physicality. But it just again the muddled thinking. Graham Volks have been such a good partnership last season, and Gray's not been in the team much this season. Partly his own fault because he's suspended, but then he brings him back in and doesn't play him with Volks. It I just <laughs> I couldn't get my head around what what Dash was doing all all day on Saturday. Um, when I saw the team, it just looked like a team that was going to get beat, and there was no real surprise that they got beat. It just didn't look anything like up to it. Um, defensively, Simon, sloppy again at the back. It's just far too easy teams are scoring goals. Two good finishes, but those balls into the box, they've got to get cut out. Yeah, and that's what I don't understand, because they do at home, don't they? We haven't been making them piles of defensive errors at home, really. Um, and, you know, you could still say over the season as a whole, our two central defenders have had very good seasons, haven't they? But then we we go away from home under these, you know, I think the Flanagan thing didn't work. And, you know, I mean, really, if you're looking at what happens in January, um, you know, if Dash is going to be ruthless about it, you know, why why are we paying any salary for, for Flanagan and Bamford on loan? They might as well go back, you know. Um, and I think I think the right back situation. We've had that solid defensive foundation all last year, and and for much of this year, uh, especially at home. And and the fact there's now a big question mark over right back. I think that might be something he needs to look at as well, unless he really believes that Lawton can can bounce back and get back in the team and deliver Premier League quality performances. You know what's Kieran Trippier up to, by the way? Is he? Uh, is oh, he still, Simon Don. Is, is he? Is he? <laughs> is he still playing football somewhere? Yeah, apparently so. He's, he start. I was looking at. Um, I was looking at Trippier the other day. Actually, he started three of the Champions League games. So, well, he's not seen a lot of action in the Premier League. He has been playing Champions League football for Spurs, albeit in a team that hasn't done very well in that competition. So, yeah, uh, it's I mean, maybe I've, a bit wishful you know, thinking that we might be able to get him back. 
But he's not yeah, going to get in the Spurs starting lineup. He's not going to dismiss. I mean, I thought he might do. The other. I thought was, I saw that. I don't like to wish injury on players, but I saw um, a couple of games ago Walker looked like he might be in for an injury. But it, it's as it turns out, he's fine. He's not going to get back in that side. They rotate the fullbacks quite a lot, though. Spurs. Spurs. Sorry, Kieran Trippier was the best thing that ever happened to Cal Walker. Before that, he was absolutely diabolical. Yeah, you're and right, James. James. Just stepped up, right. Trippy is quite un- is quite unlucky then in that you know I think when they when they bought him off us I think they fully expected that he was going to break into first team football and then Walker just developed the form of his absolute life and he's not had a sniff since. Yeah, I mean there was a time when Trippier was was really knocking on the door, wasn't it? They were sort of rotating him, you know, uh, with the cup games and stuff during the week he was playing and Walker played in the Premier League at the weekend and a lot of Spurs fans I know, I know a few and they were saying. Yeah, you know, Trippier should be starting. I don't know why Pochettino's not doing that. And they were for it. And I think, yeah, that sometimes you do get that situation where where the pressure, uh, you know, delivers some performance. I mean, we've got another right back as well, of course. But, I mean, he's been completely forgotten. You well, Derek. James, James is a fan of, of Derek, but... He, I honestly couldn't remember who you were thinking to, of. <laughs> he didn't always look up to it in the Championship for me, so it's maybe yeah, a bit of a defensive, Defensively, I think he's... Uh... He's unfortunately probably not cut off for the Premier League, but I, I'm I know in one of the very few people who's not been absolutely disgusted by uh, Matt Lawton this season. I think he's been more than serviceable. I, I've Certainly been quite not critical as bad as of him. No, that's true, but I mean I've probably out of the podcast um, regulars, I've probably been the most critical of Lawton. I'm really je- oh actually are we are we Lawton or we Lawton? Papa Birds confuse this, Jake. It, it, it Can Lawton. you sort? It, it is, is Lawton. Lawton. Fine, it is Lawton. I, I've been told um, by Papa Bird he was told it is Lawton. It is Lawton, I don't know right? Good. By him or not? But I'm, I'm glad we've waited until a year into the lads' <laughs> career. So. Well, they definitely okay, they were definitely him. calling him on player. They were definitely calling him Lawton at the beginning. But anyway, it's I've very difficult been... as well sometimes to avoid not slipping between the two. Yeah, can, can you imagine? It is well. I've I've definitely been Lawton's most critical. Um, harsh critics sorry on this podcast but I have to say I wouldn't go as far as to say I've been completely disgusted with him and I have been some games where he has played all right and I have given him credit where credit's due now now looking at it and we've called out for maybe Flanagan to come in and see what he's made of Lawton is the best right back option that we have at the club so unless we're going to spend a lot of money on a replacement he has to play and he has to play every single week and we're going to have to accept that there are going to be some games where he's a bit poor and sometimes against certain um, games sorry certain teams in this league that he's going to get caught for pace or he's going to get caught out of position but certainly what was offered on on Saturday was just abysmal I mean Flanagan was awful um, that second goal my god I've, um, I've, I've wanted that change for for weeks, Me too. I, I felt like Flanagan yeah. Fulton's been on the cards. I've not understood why Dash has waited so long to do it. But it's, it's hard to defend Flanagan after that. I, I felt it was harsh that people said, don't play him because he's terrible against Stanley. Everyone was terrible against Stanley. It was his first game and he'd not played football for 18 months, really. So I don't want to judge him off that. But it was awful again on Saturday. Um, so part of me thinks he needs a run in the team. Part of me thinks he's just rubbish. <laughs> he needs to get Lawton back in. But it's a real problem position for us and that we ended the game with James Tarkovsky continuing his tour of positions that he can't play at right back. It just seems to me that Dash was getting a little bit desperate. He's turning a bit of a I'm... cult hero, is, uh, is Tarky, isn't he? He's going, I wonder how many positions he's going to play by the end he's, of the season. He's played defence midfield, right back, emergency striker. He's played everywhere apart from centre back. He's meant to play. 
I was going to I was going to say actually Graham Bradshaw's a good one. I was I'm probably showing my age here, but he's the new the new <laughs> Andy Farrell. <laughs> Andy, Andy Farrell Andy though. Andy Farrell, I think he played in goal as well. He well, played, he did actually play right back quite a yeah, bit. So let's became let's a hope we don't see James Sarkovsky in goal because that would suggest that something's gone quite wrong at some yeah. point. Well, so. you, you say that after, after, after Sarkovsky. Sorry, I was going to say after Saturday, Smith, I think I'd rather have Tarky and Gold than bloody Robinson. <laughs> Sorry, apologies for language. This is a family podcast. <laughs> um, the second half, though, there was uh, a bit of an improvement, Simon, in that we posed some threat, seemed to look after the ball a bit better, but we're still just controlling the game from there. You seem to see that in the Premier League. Teams get a couple of goals up and they're just trying to shut the game down. Not quite. I think I, I was quite impressed by the second half, I have to say. I thought. Um, that was a game where could very easily have become a West Brom or a Leicester and, and ended up four or five nil, you know. And I think I think Dice was saying to him, go out there and show that, you know, be in the game with ten minutes to go and let's see if we can't nick one and give him a scare. Um, which, you know, is not the ideal position to be in. But when you're two nil down at half time, I thought it was a decent performance. It showed that perhaps, but you're right, the edge goes off the opposition. It's hard to judge judge those performances in that situation. But, you know, again, when we did get into somewhere promising, there was just that lack of finesse really as well, you know, and, and we looked to DeFore to deliver that. Um, but really, you don't, you know, um, you know, Hendrick's been disappointing in, in that aspect, hasn't he? And the two, and the two wide players, are starting to look, and I like them both for different reasons. I think that they've given an awful lot to the club, but there are there are games away from home where where Arfield and Boyd, you know, even though we've got that possession and we're going forward, where they they do they do look championship level, you know, with the quality of of delivery into the box and that kind of thing. And we just didn't the final third. We just didn't really create enough, did we? even though we had that possession in midfield and Marnie was bossing it a bit more, you know, so... Yeah, I think he touched the ball 19 times, Boyd, on Saturday. It was 22 times the game before that. It's just not involved nearly enough. I know he offers... He's supposed to offer a defensive protect, protection, although I think he was well off it for the first goal, I think it was on his side. But he, he just doesn't do anything on the ball, so it's, it's like playing with 10 and we just can't afford to do that. You have to have players who offer something going forward because we're just not creating anything away from home. And it seems obvious to me. I know there's not a lot of alternatives. James likes Kitely. A lot of people think Kitely's not good enough, but he's got to try something different because without Gunmanson, there's just no threat from wide areas um, whatsoever at the minute. We have to buy, I think. You know, without being alarmist, I think it is once again going to be another of those windows where. You know the club has to decide if it's you know how serious it is about staying up. You know, and and, and last time they spent the money, um, albeit in a sort of end of window sort of rush. But I think you know there's there's clear areas of the team that need to be addressed immediately in January if we're to have a chance of staying up. Something's got to change away from home because you, I don't think you can stay up just by relying on your home form. Yeah, I think uh, there's tried to buy Grzycki, didn't they on on deadline day, and it was obviously. Um, an off the field issue apparently got in the way of that deal, but you'd imagine yeah. a winger will be one of the main targets. Well, when we talk about wingers, though, I mean, what annoys me about um, Dash and Kyle is when he brings him on for like one minute at the end of the game where we've already gone to route one, 
It's like, what what are we achieving by bringing on players all of a sudden that are going to play wide when we've already resigned ourselves to, you know, getting it to Keane or me and then lumping it into the box? It's... I think that's a really good point, Bertie, but I think it highlights for me a slightly wider issue with this in that Deitch, for me, his, ta- his ability to change tactics through the game and make effective substitutions is perhaps his weakest part of his game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's it's nothing new, that is it? We've said that on the podcast before, and when you're one of the better teams in the league, you can get away with it because your team's probably better than the opposition, but you really need to be able to change things when it's not going your way, and we don't see that from Daesh enough. This season, OK, he's had one substitution that's paid off very well when he put Barnes on against Palace. A lot of people, myself, James, certainly among them, were... Wanting Grace to come on, Barnes came on, scored the winner. Fair enough, he's got that one right. But when we go behind, it's game over at the moment, especially away from home. It just doesn't look like we're going to get anything from it. Heads start to drop, which is the most disappointing thing for me. I think Simon's certainly right. There's something psychological, something mental not going right out there. It seems to me there's a lack of leadership. I don't think dropping to four helps with that because even if he's not massively vocal, he leads by example in the middle of the park. And it just felt to me like on Saturday it was throw stuff at the wall see what sticks and unfortunately absolutely nothing stuck um, so Saturday at home to Bournemouth Natalie, I assume we're going to see something different again, the 4 5 ones work quite well at home so might be back to that plan, Grey back on the bench maybe Yeah I, I expect so, I mean Darch is in a quite an impossible situation here, really, and that we know how much he likes consistency, you know, how comfortable he is in picking the same players in the same formation. And it certainly worked last season in that and um, that's how we were successful as we were. He's in a very uncomfortable position where he's being forced to change on a regular basis to either compensate for players, injuries or suspensions, but also tactics that haven't worked. But then he doesn't want to be doing that too much because he doesn't want to tinker with um, a size that people then become not disillusioned as such, but basically not that confident in where they're supposed to be playing and and, and what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I certainly think that there will be a change from Saturday's tactics, but I expect that we will revert back to earlier tactics as opposed to something completely new. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see the 4-5-1 again with Defoe back in the squad. Um, the problem with that, obviously, is how we deal with um, Good Munson's absence. Um, but I, I just... I, it's going to be really difficult. I mean, I was watching Bournemouth on Sunday. Did they play? Yes, Sunday. And if the, if Bournemouth play the way they can, they're going to absolutely play us off the park. And it's quite a depressing thing to think about because Bournemouth were a worse side than we were not so very long ago. And all that's happened is is that they've they've spent well, they've spent on the right players, and they have. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? They've consolidated their league position very well and they're turning themselves into an established and very good Premier League side very, very quickly. And and it's, you know, we could do that, but at the moment we look like a mile away from being the side that Bournemouth are and all they've had is one season in the Premier League. So I'm, I'm really worried about, about Saturday and I think he has to do something. He has to get a grip on midfield. If he doesn't, if he doesn't do something to pack that midfield and keep possession we are not going to see much of the ball and we are literally going to get passed off the park. It's, it's a strange one, I think, because the fact Bournemouth are going to dominate the ball doesn't worry me that 
worry me that much. The games where we've had quite a lot of the ball this season, we don't we haven't played well. We had quite a lot of the ball at Stoke, but did nothing with it. West Brom, they did a Burnley on us, played on the break and battered us. So it it might well be a Liverpool style game where Bournemouth have all the ball, we sit in and then try and hit them on the break. So it'd be an interesting one tactically there. Um Simon, I think a lot of people expected Dash to play four four two for most of the season. The switch to four five one seemed to be designed around the grey suspension. Is is there anything else that Dash could be missing? I've suggested a four three three with Grey Barnes and Volks up front might be worth a goal, but it's it's very much a just desperately trying to find a different way of doing it at the minute because we've tried a few different things and it's not worked in the last few weeks. There's a thing you could do with Barnes which he's which he did in the past, which might not necessarily be four three three. But given that, you know, you're looking at Boyd and Arfield and, and Goodmanson's injured and and Kitely probably isn't gonna be a player who comes in and uh and does the business, you've got that option of playing Barnes out on the wide position, haven't you? You know. And he will he will track back and work in midfield and scrap and fight and get booked and foul people and and then pop up in attack, you know, he'll he'll graft. So he's got he got the option that he could play four four two with Barnes as one of the attacking players from wide positions and play Volks and Gray together. I, you know, how how, how much time have Defoe and Gray spent on the field together? Hardly season? any, hardly any. And you'd say they're two of the players that we would expect to be two of our most important players this season. And you would think, you know, if Defoe's strength, you, you hinted at this earlier on, Defoe's strength is, is the precision of his passing and his vision. Uh, Gray cries out for that and needs, when he sets off on those runs, somebody who really can just split a defender with a pass. You know, I think whatever formation he goes with, presuming that people are fit, whatever formation he goes with, I want to see those two playing together. I want to see if Defoe can be the guy who brings out the best in Andre Gray, because we don't know yet. Yeah, I agree. I think you you think about partnerships, don't you? And Graham votes a partnership that worked quite well last season, although it wasn't the same sort of partnership as Ings and Volts in that there wasn't a lot of interplay. It was more that they gave the defenders different things to think about, and that's what mm. worked for the team. Um, but that's the partnership. Defoe and Grace strikes me as a partnership that would work well in theory, but yeah, we've not seen it yet. Your full-back and wingers obviously need to be good partnerships. We've not really seen that yet, so... I think that's something that we really need to to see on on Saturday, um, James. What what do you think Dash is going to do? The four four two worked so well last season, but we've just not got results with it this season. Four five one has been what's worked at home, but then what do you do with Andre Gray? It's difficult. I mean, we've seen it a bit on uh, you know Twitter. Some people have been talking about selling him and saying that you know he doesn't fit. He's not good enough for the Premier League. I think that's you know ridiculous. He's he's clearly our best goal scorer. You know, I saw someone actually on that sense. point saying sell great and buy a proven Premier League goal scorer, as if there's just loads <laughs> of them who were firstly available and secondly anywhere near what we would be able to. I was like, you can't just do that. <laughs> the, is, the way football is now, as well, especially in the Premier League. You know, in the Championship, you can talk about twenty goal scorers, and there's probably you know a handful in the Championship that can. You know, score that number. But when you get up to the Premier League, twenty goal scorers, you're talking what two or three a season. It there's not a lot of people who go out and score like that sort of volume of goals. 
And if you're down the bottom end of the table, I think even having a striker who scores sort of 12, 13 is pretty, uh, pretty good going for a bottom half side. Uh, and, you know, I, I think Andre Gray could do that. But the problem is with Gray, you need to, you know, play to his strengths. We saw it last season plenty of times. He quite likes the ball over the top. So Defoe, you know, you'd think he's got the, the you know, the skill set to to do that. But the problem is we just never really get in the positions to to feed him, and um, particularly when we play so narrow, I think that doesn't help either. So it's going to be interesting to see what we do with him. But if maybe in January we can sign a you know, another wide player, because clearly Dash doesn't feel confident in playing Kitely. I'd say in our side now that Goodmanson's out, he's probably the only player left who plays with any real width when he plays on the wing. Um, I don't know why Alfield doesn't anymore, because previously in the past we have seen he can sort of stay towards the touchline, but now he's always sort of inside. Um, and I think a, a big part of the key is we just need to get some width in the side, because at the moment... I think we play too narrow for a lot of teams and, you know, we end up getting crowded out and we, we don't have the skill to play in a crowded midfield. I think that's the biggest problem. Mm. Even with Goodmanson, though, we've seen Goodmanson play on the right quite a lot and because he's left foot, he wants to cut inside. So I think there's, there's certainly um, different ideas they could do that. Talking about strikers, Simon, something we've seen in the papers over here could well just be papered up, but we've been linked with Jordan Rhodes of Middlesbrough. He's not in there 18 again today. Obviously, his face doesn't fit. I think Karanka said he's available. Uh, be a controversial one with his Rovers history, but he, he is a player that has scored goals. Do you think that would be an interesting one at all, or does he not offer enough all-round play? He's a bit unproven at the Premier League level, isn't he? Like totally unproven at the Premier League. He's exactly like Gray. It wouldn't make any yeah, sense to me uh, at all. You know, that's that's the problem with it. But then again, you know, if they're willing to... I mean, I think they paid about 11 or 12 for him, didn't they, in the end? Um, you know, it's going to be... They will be looking to get that back. But he's gone with uh, Negrado, hasn't he? You know, he likes him more up front. And I just think, you know, he's not going to be playing there. I mean, why not? I mean, I, I, I'm not against bringing in another striker because, you know, it's not as though anything's really working that amazingly well up front. I mean, you can say that both Gray and Volks deserve their place in the team and Barnes can make a contribution, but we're not talking about players who who, uh, who are going to go in there and, and score goals consistently. And Rhodes has shown he can do that. He's obviously a confidence player who probably needs, needs a move now if that's not working out for him. The Rovers thing, it's always an interesting one. I mean, you know, we used to have a policy of not really doing it, didn't we? Um but that's been broken a few times. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with Jordan Rose. How long was he at Rovers for? A year and a half? Two years at the most? You yeah, know? Uh, it'd be one of those things. He's not he's exactly scored a few Simon goals. Garner, is he? Yeah, he, he scored a few goals for us. It would seem to be forgotten. But it, it not, might just know, be one of those things that people held against him at the start of his career. It wouldn't bother me. Starts, I mean, missing, starts missing chances, then he becomes a reject, doesn't he? But, you know. Yeah, it's, well, uh, exactly. Yeah. Natalie, what's what's your thoughts on Rhodes? Do you think we need more firepower? For me, it's it's further back the problem. We're not creating chances for the strikers, so spending money on a, a pure goal scorer who needs chances to be created for him, he's not going to create chances for himself. Rhodes wouldn't really make any sense to me. I would snap their hand off for him personally. I think I agree with you, Jamie. I think you're right. I think there are deeper problems in that side in that we need to deal with the supply line. But equally, I've 
talked before on the podcast about a ruthlessness in front of goal and a sharpness and um, a concern of this team in, in having to create 10, 10, 12 chances just to score one. And part of that problem is, is that the goal scorers we've got on the, on the pitch aren't ruthless enough in putting that ball in the back of the net. They need, you know, they don't take the chances when they get them. I know he's not proven at Premier League level, but Jordan Rose is a goal scorer. And if we can get him on that pitch, I think that he will convert more of the chances that we are creating than the players that we currently have in this squad. Um, I think if we do, I think if we then do also get a winger and a supply line, I mean, Defoe, assuming we can get him to a point where he can play 90 minutes at some point, Defoe, like you said, yeah, big assumption. But like you said before, Defoe will supply goals to um, to Gray at some point. We want to see them two playing together. Defoe will also, in that sense, supply goals for Rose. And I just think, I just think we need a better and a more clinical target man up front than the one that we've got. And at the moment, things aren't working very well for him. He's obviously made that move to Middlesbrough and it has not worked out. Cranker did not want him, has not played him. So his confidence must be rock bottom. Deitch is a fantastic manager in terms of getting the best out of his players from mm. a mental, you know, mental point of view. He will sort that out and he will make him feel like he's wanted. The team will play well with him and he'll get the best out of him. I do not doubt that. So for me, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think I think he's worth a punt for sure. And where else are we going to get a, a goal scorer that's going to be as potentially cheap as he's going to be? Well, the one who's been on our bench for most of the season. Well, that's Probably. not helpful, Birdie. Obviously, obviously, Gray's got a mental problem though at the moment, so we can't. What? How long are we going to wait for Gray to sort this out? Um, um, why can't problem? we have has both he just of them? Not been given the ball. I mean. He had the only real great opportunity for us on Saturday, and you know, it was a great save from Lee Grant, I thought. And uh, yeah, you know, that was if the, we play the, the closest the... thing we created to a chance on Saturday. Yeah, and he's a player. If you give him chances, he will score goals. Jordan Rhodes, I think, needs the type of chances that if we can't give Gray chances, where Gray can take half chances, some of the angles we've seen Gray score from previously, you know, are incredible. Jordan Rhodes needs tap ins and. He's around a 12-yard box player. That's fine, but we can do that if we're going to play a 4-5-1. Play Ray Rhodes up front. Rhodes would be better is, in a 4-5-1 than Vogue. Playing 4-5-1, we've not done that all season. We've not created those chances. So I don't believe that suddenly getting a player who's not going to come and work back and do the work our strikers do yeah. is going to change I can only think of one chances. one goal, really. One of the, the first goal against Palace, the, the Vogue's one from close range. That's the only goal we've really scored that's been the sort of one that I can imagine Rhodes nabbing like one of these nibbly ones around the six-yard box. I, I'm with you, James, on this. I think he needs a, a certain type of service, Rhodes, and he, he thrives more on a team that creates a lot of chances rather than the odd one. Um, so I, I don't think he'd be suitable for us because we're just not creating a lot of chances. For me, if I was investing, I would be investing in the supply line as good a winger as I could afford and probably a central midfielder because it's just not working out for for Jeff Hendrick at the moment but I'm very interested to see what we do because I've still got a question mark over Dyche's record in the transfer market to be honest there's been a few misses and a few hits so I think this is a, a pivotal window I'm sure we'll talk more about the transfer window as it gets nearer Rhodes was obviously um, 
want to talk about it tonight because Borough playing as we're recording the podcast and Negredo's just missed a chance that Rhodes probably would have scored. <laughs> so that's why we brought that one up. But we'll move on now to Tweet of the Week. So over to Natalie for a complete surprise. So I forgot to ask what it is. So no segue into Tweet of the Week this week. I'm just going to throw over to Natalie and see what it is. Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. Indeed. Now, we're back to our usual difficulty in picking Tweet of the Week this week. And there seems to be a direct correlation with with the success of Tweet of the Week as to whether Burnley play home or away. So in that day... How weird! I, I know, right? <laughs> what other correlation can you think of between our home and away results? That's so strange. I know, honestly. Groundbreaking analysis on the podcast. Um so this week, along that theme, um, I picked up on a tweet on a Matt Lane who tweeted a little bit of support to our very downtrodden, fantastic fans who have travelled around the country so far this year and seen our team get absolutely battered pretty much everywhere they go to, with the exception of Old Trafford. So we're going to give a shout out this week to our hardworking, loyal, fantastic away support. And Matt Lane tweets, fans doing us proud regardless of the results so far. So thank you for that, Matt. And for all of you who are listening, who have braved the motorways and the buses and the trains to get around the country to support the boys, knowing full well that we're probably going to get battered, then massive, massive, massive kudos to you. Yeah, two and a half thousand of them at Stoke at the weekend. Fair enough. <laughs> I want to go to Stoke at the best of time, but it's going to see team lose a football match. Yeah, fair play to that. <laughs> Moving on then to the weekend's game, Bournemouth. The visitors to Turf Moor, stunning comeback for the Cherries on Sunday at home to Liverpool, 3-1 down with 15 minutes to go, they won 4-3. Yes, we beat Liverpool at home, but we didn't do it like that. Um, and Simon, Eddie Howe's doing a fantastic job down there, albeit he's had a good budget. Yeah, no, they, they were really buzzing, weren't they? Yes, that was incredible. Real, real spirit that they showed there as well, and they looked lively and energetic and it's going to be a difficult one, isn't it? It's weird, isn't it? The two teams, the only two teams have been Liverpool this season, and it's Burnley and Bournemouth. And uh, but you know, I think, I think we're coming into a run of games now where it is getting to crunch time, isn't it? You know, I mean, I know there's a long way to go, yeah. but you look at the, the three the, home games, at, three home games: Bournemouth, Middlesbrough, Sunderland. The next three, oh, absolutely massive. Yeah, and if we are going to break our bad run of form away from home as well, if there's one team in the Premier League that don't look comfortable at home, it's West Ham United. You know, in a new home, and they've got five shoved past them there. You know, we haven't had any performances like that at home, have we, like that? And um, so, you know, this has the potential. If we could just find that magic ingredient, get the formation right, get the selection right, get Andre Gray scoring again, get Defoe back in and playing again, then maybe, you know, if we can get something out, you know, a win out of this game, then suddenly you go to West Ham, you know, forget about Spurs away, that's not going to happen. But then Middlesbrough and Sunderland at home, City away, that's not going to happen. But, you you know, you could be looking at picking up, you know, seven, eight points from this little run around now in the festive season, and that could really help get us away from trouble. So it's a big one, really, because I think it sets the tone for this run of games now. If we If we mess up on Saturday suddenly those games become like, you know, the fear factor starting to get in there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's three defeats in a row, and okay, we've not been terrible in all those, but 
yeah, you don't want that to go to four, and then you've got to go to West Ham, and that starts sort of like a massive game against a team around the the bottom three. It's really starting to to become crunch down. I think it's far too early in the season to talk about must win games, but I think it's a bit of a must not lose against Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, James, obviously Eddie Howe coming back to to Turf Moor. A lot of fans still unhappy with him for leaving the club. What sort of reaction do you think he's going to get? It'll be a bit mixed, won't it, at the weekend? Yeah, it will be a bit mixed, but I'm not really sure why, to be honest. I felt like we weren't a bad team under him, but we weren't going anywhere fast either. Um, you know, I've, there's that old theory, isn't there, that he can't really do much away from the south coast, and uh, he's not really done anything to disprove it so far, has he? I mean, to be honest, it... Hasn't been anywhere just, else, though. It's just one no, failure, Burnley. True, but I, I think it's hard to label it a failure, though. Maybe it's just he was kind of average. We were kind of all right, weren't we? Just plodding along in the middle of the table. Well, I don't, actually, I think I, I can't remember the actual stat. It felt like that most of the time, but by the time he by the time he actually went, there was starting to be quite a few grumbles about him, weren't there? And, and yeah. And I think we were like 16th or 17th, and we were only like three or four points off the relegation zone. There were some awful games as well. Like, was it was it Palace you went to? Went to His North last game, yeah, was Palace, and I was at that game, and I was surprised that there were fans saying he's like he's got to go. They wanted him sacked. So I no, think fans um, always do that away games, don't they? I'm, I'm they do, but yeah, I don't think it, I don't think it was just um, knee-jerk. Though. I think it was more a reaction to how bad we were. Defensively at that time, we know when Dash came and he fixed the defence. It was the first thing he did. Yeah, and then I remember hearing some fans complaining about Dash at games later that season where we weren't conceding, but we weren't scoring, and they wanted Dash out. <laughs> yeah. the, you know, they never happy. They never happy these out, fans. Uh, yeah, you can, I, I think I think House set a lot of the foundations that then Dash built on, sort of similar to to Cottrell, although Cottrell should have gone earlier. That Cottrell set things in place and then Coyle added things to that and I think without how bringing in players like me and Trippier and um, Austin and Ings I, I don't think that promotion would have then happened I guess I, I always thought that the the thing with Cottrell was and I think Cottrell takes you know a massive chunk of the share for that first promotion because he sort of basically set the whole team up and Coyle mainly just deluded them into thinking they were a lot better than they were, which is obviously what Coyle was, was good at. Um, whereas when Dyche came in, I think he sort of had to completely change the mentality behind the players. And I also felt that maybe a lot of Howell's signings were, you know, ones that me or you, not to be disrespectful to us here, Smith, could have probably picked out. You know, they were, I think, quite easy choices. And I think it was the same with Coyle, like, People said when he signed uh, Chris Eagles, it was a great signing. But, I mean, any of us could have picked Chris Eagles up. It was obvious he was going to be half decent. Yeah, maybe. I play a lot of football managers. <laughs> Some of the players, that, yeah, fair enough. But we did pick up a couple of bargains from the lower leagues as well. Austin, OK, he's got a lot of goals, but someone started to pay a million quid for him. Danny Ings, he was a kid. Danny Ings had played half a dozen games, scored a couple of goals. No, okay. Ings is obviously more of a point, I think, but... Obviously, Cottrell. Junior Stanislas plucked him from West Ham's reserves, of course. <laughs> obviously, Cottrell, you had stuff like Elliot, where we sort of pick players out of Michael Duff being the, obviously the classic example. Yeah, more we obscure players. players out of being that's true. Like, you know, a bit 
very middle of the road players, and obviously they turned out to to do a pretty good job for us over the years. What are your thoughts on on how Natalie? Um, they're quite clouded in that <laughs> I hate him now. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, I'm I get that really fear feeling of her personal attack after what he did and this is completely irrational i will caveat this now it's completely irrational and a ridiculous fan thought to have but <laughs> i was absolutely outraged that he had the audacity to quit our club i like, tell someone want to leave <laughs> why would anyone want to leave yeah exactly <laughs> um so because of that i've i've always i've really disliked him since then and it's just all the things that I really liked about him when he was at the club. So I loved his smoothness and how nice he dressed and like him and Tyndall and their relationship. Suddenly how become negative as soon as he's somewhere Now else. he's smug <laughs> and horrible and I just hate him. So, I mean, you can't, you cannot argue with the success he's had at Bournemouth. What an incredible job he's done with that club. And I, I was very judgmental when they got promoted. I thought they'd be the absolute whipping boys of the division. And actually, Bournemouth were really unlucky last season that the Leicester story took off to the extent that it did. Because in any other season, the press mm-hmm. and the just the the story of them managing to survive and go up in and finish as high as they did, albeit, you know, they had quite a poor end to the season, but they survived comfortably in the end. Yeah, it, in it, it was partly season, Leicester hogging the limelight. That, also that really is one of the better ways I've heard Leicester's uh, champion <laughs> success played down as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Fun. Well, Leicester are rubbish now. But yeah, I yeah. think also they'd, they'd survived in like March, hadn't they? And they basically stopped trying yeah, after exactly. that. Which is which is incredible, and Watford as well did the same thing. Two promoted sides finished really high up, and they just didn't get the credit they deserved because of that. Now I'd be interested. I'm, I'd go shy of saying that Howe is a great manager because at the moment he's only proved to be successful at one club. Now look at David Moyes; he's really struggled as soon as he left Everton. He's not had very much success at all, and I do think that there is um, a one club fits all men do you know what I mean it's like one club fits the manager type so I don't know what the boys was good before he went to Everton as well though Everton were the only yeah but he was there a long time and high High profile profile, obviously but but thanks for your contribution James but yeah yeah, we do forget that he was good at Preston because Preston are an irrelevant football club that do not matter exactly so I would be very interested to see how he manages because I, I don't think he was that prolific for us and I don't think it really worked for us so I'd be interested to see what he's like if he moves away from Bournemouth but as I said before I'm I'm pretty worried about Saturday and it's going to really hurt when they absolutely batch us because it's him and I'm irrationally hating <laughs> Excellent, well I think we can all guess what Natalie's prediction is going to be we'll start with with you Simon it's it's going to be one of these where the away team dominates the ball at Turf Moor, surely Bournemouth like to have the ball, players like Jack Welsh who are very comfortable in possession but Burnley can hurt teams on the break. We've seen that at Turf Moor this season. How do you think it's going to go? Give us a prediction. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's what it's going to be like. I think Bournemouth will play their pretty Eddie Howe football, knock it around, um, all very nice, and we'll smack him in the mouth two or three times. I think Andre <laughs> Gray. I think Andre Gray. Andre uh, Hattrick. You're not like, comes, that's James's bit. He comes he to life. No, I'm not going with Hattrick, but he comes <laughs> to life and scores the first two in our 3-0 victory. Excellent. Uh, James, before your prediction, we've got a competition that you're going to fill us in about. A giveaway competition? Giveaway. Yeah, we have. So, um, working with our friends off football, you may have seen us tweet about uh, on Black Friday. Uh, we're going to do a, a very simple, classic 
retweet and follow competition where you can uh, get the opportunity to win one of the designs on either a, a print or on a t-shirt so it's going to be well worth entering a little christmas competition that uh, i'm sure any football fan who's well Birmingham fan in particular would like to have one of these so that's retweeting our tweet about it, right? And yeah, yeah. So that, that's going to be on our You have to follow account, Art of um, Football as well and us, otherwise you're not eligible. Exactly. And you know the, when's you know the, the closing date? We've got a closing date. So that competition is going to close on the 16th of December. So you can uh, let if you're going to give it to someone you know or whatever as Christmas present, you can let them know it's going to be on the way. Yeah, and we'll uh, stick details about that in the show notes. As well, so don't miss out. James, your prediction then for Burnley Bournemouth at the Surf on Saturday? Well, in complete contrast to everybody else talking about Saturday's game, um, I still really fancy us at home. I think, you know, the, the games where we haven't won at home, we've been a little bit unlucky, you know. We, we've shown a much better version of ourselves in front of our home crowd. Um, I'm not going to go for any bold hat-trick predictions, but... I do fancy us to to win pretty comfortably, and I'm going to say it's going to be two 0 And I think Andre Gray will get at least one of them. He's going to come back to life. He's going to prove Brommers wrong that he's in the right place, and he's going to bang one home, run over to Brommers, and like. <laughs> I'll take that to be fair. <laughs> well, hopefully, Gray's in the team since we're all predicting him to score goals. Um, Natalie, round us off then. I've got a really bad feeling, but I don't know whether to go with it or not. Oh, I really, I don't know what to do. Everything, all of my strategy and all my tactics are letting you me down this season. You know what you could do is just put strategy and tactics in the bin and give us a score prediction. That's, That's what you good. could do. Honestly, I don't know. I just, I don't even know who you are at times, James. <laughs> um, reverse cycle. I'm the host of a very new... serious football podcast that gets derailed <laughs> in the last five minutes every week. Every week. Um, I'm going to, uh, the, the positive, the change of turnstile and the positive attitude has <laughs> worked at home. We've got a, an away problem, but that's a different issue. Don't say so what turnstile So I'm changing to turnstile 28, which is, my, is that the right turnstile? 27. No, 27. I'm changing See, to turnstile 27, which is a new turnstile. <laughs> and... Just keeping your guessing so you can't abduct it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, please don't do that. Um, not before Christmas anyway, at least let me open my presents first. Um, I'm going to I'm going to use a new turnstile and I'm going to predict a 4-0 win for Burnley with a grey hat-trick and... Um, Matt Lawton scoring from a corner. Lawton, sorry, Matt Lawton. Matt I'm glad you thought about your, your plans for this thing rather than just. <laughs> is, he scoring, is he scoring straight from the corner, or is he direct from the corner? Scoring as a result of a corner. No, he's going. It's just going to bounce off the back of his head and go in the racket net as he's looking up at it. Some, it'll be a scrappy goal, but it's going to come. Have you not noticed? Well he, he, he hangs back for the corner, Bromley. So he's even <laughs> he's not, not, this not this time. Not this time. We've got to rifle it in. It could be. <laughs> like, he scored a goal a few years ago, didn't he, for Villa? Rifled one in from distance. But we're going to be three 0 up by then, so we won't need to hold back for the corner. He's just going to go for it. And he's going to. It's going to kickstart his season. He's going to be well good from now on. See, I've, I've never watched so Dasha's Burnley play. When, when have we ever gone gung ho when we three 0 up? I'm not saying it's on Saturday. That's, that's <laughs> what's going to happen. 
on Saturday. Uh, we'll leave it there then. Lots of positive predictions, so hopefully an improved performance back at Turf Moor where results and performances have been good this season in sharp contrast to the away form that thankfully we won't have to talk about on next week's podcast. <laughs> That's it for this week. As James said, we've got giveaway going on with Art of Football. Check the show notes for the podcast for all the details about that. Thanks to Rick who provides our artwork for the podcast. You can find that on social media and on the website, nonanever.net as well. Email us if you've got any questions, feedback about the podcast. As always, email address is podcast at nonanever.net and you can also tweet us at nonanevernet as well. Last thanks to Kev, who's going to edit the podcast this week. He's not with us, but we'll have to edit this podcast so he's with us in spirit. And thanks for everyone to listening. Thanks to everyone for listening as always. But that's it from this week's podcast. Thanks to James. Natalie and Simon for joining me. I've been Jamie Smith. Goodbye. And that you do actually have to get a. Um, oh, I'm sorry. That was my. Um, okay, I'm gonna have to start up again. <laughs> what is going on? That Jingle. was Santa. <laughs> it's Santa yeah. it, it was my. It was my reindeer that I was wearing fancy dress on Friday, which just fell on the back of me when I was talking. So um, you want to start that I'm going to start that little section again. Week, week. One sec. I've got my mouth. I thought she was going to say she hadn't figured out what it was yet. No. <laughs> I thought so, just going to say. I'm so sorry. I just Careful, don't show up. Don't eat the dad. That won't be uh, tweet of the week, that's for sure. Death corner. <laughs> Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver-assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.